Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, I'm Barry Guy. Another significant week as sports start to emerge from what has been a unique couple of months for the world coping with the coronavirus pandemic. New Zealand is a return to normality with the prospect that COVID-19 Level 2 will allow teams training and that competition might not be too far away. The Warriors are in Australia preparing for the resumption of the NRL, while Super Rugby and the ANZ Nepal Premiership are cranking up their machines again with the possibility of play next month. However, things are going to be different, and probably different for quite a long time. I'm joined by RNZ rugby reporter Joe Porter, correspondent Hamish Bidwell, and Wellington Pride rugby player Alice Soper. Alice, I suppose, uh, starting with you... Firstly, the prospect of uh, some rugby continuing, um, you know, at super rugby level anyway, uh, that must be exciting. Oh, look, I can't believe that I uh, relented and fell into the COVID laziness and stopped going for runs. I'm feeling very sheepish now. Uh, I've been getting in quite good shape during the preseason, and now it looks like it's all back on again. So um, I see that they've set, you know, a four-week window for um, the tops here to get back into shape. They might have fallen into some bad habits like me. Um, and so I think it's a case of us all having to hit the road now. And that's really exciting that we might actually get to play, play this year even. Uh, we'll get on to, yes, perhaps the Farah Palmer Cup uh, shortly. And I know uh, I'm uh, um, all of a sudden quite anxious about the gym opening up again. And Hamish, <laughs> I mean, you've had your ups and downs when it's come to Super Rugby, but what, six weeks without it? How are you feeling? I haven't missed it in the slightest. Um and all the way through everything that's come out of rugby um, at world level or New Zealand level, all the decisions that have been made have turned me further off the game. And I know that I sound like a hypocrite. Um, I rely on rugby for some income and uh, it's been an important part of my life. But I just actually despair for the game and I want to know what's happening with the community footy. I want to know what's happening with the Black Ferns and the Farah Palmer Cup and things like that. And it's all very well that um, Super Rugby is returning, but it's returning against the backdrop where it sounds like you guys are reporting that half of New Zealand rugby staff are going to lose their jobs. And they've sat there like um, performing seals and protected and promoted the brand. And their reward for that is to get the sack while people on massive salaries continue to, to earn. And I just think that sucks. I'd rather see an all black take a financial haircut and allow injured rugby to retain their staff. But no, they've all got to go so that we can continue to pay these men hundreds of thousands, if not a million dollars. And I, I reckon the model's broken. And I, I go on about this all the time. And as I say, I know I sound like a hypocrite, but I think that's the first place you cut costs, not with your staff at NZ Rugby. Yeah, and you, the, the sort of ramifications go further than that. Like we've mentioned, the Farah Palmer Cup, women's rugby, uh, you know, those sorts of areas that look like set for massive funding cuts too. In fact, the competition could be wiped out completely by this COVID-19 pandemic. But yet we're rushing to get five Super Rugby teams back on the field so we can get some sort of product for the broadcasters and make some sort of money while sacking half the staff at NZR offices. It seems a bit ridiculous and a little bit absurd. I mean, most New Zealanders would rather see their provincial teams playing with all the All Blacks available for them. I think that's been 
fairly well proven by various polls over the last week or so. They don't want to see the five Super Rugby teams play against each other. They rather see the domestic t- competitions with all the All Blacks involved. So this is really, it, is all, it all comes down to money, doesn't it? Broadcast revenue and nothing else matters. It was all about getting up some players on the big screen so that they can get some money back from the TV guys, try and give Sky some content, and everything else is secondary. Well, there's a fair few people I know that uh, don't have Sky anymore, so won't uh, see it for a start. And Hamish uh, says you missed possibly uh, club rugby. Would have been quite a good start for uh, people to go along and just, just to get back into the whole thing. Yeah, and even if that's too low-brow for people, as Joe said, provincial footy gives communities and provinces a chance to sort of galvanise and get back on their feet and get enthused about something. Super rugby is very niche, and if it's going to be played in front of no people, there's going to be no connection between the fans and, and the players. It's just going to be a purely 4TV product to maintain the wages of, of, our, of our star players. And it's a soulless exercise. I know they need to generate money to, to fund the game, but in gener- and putting Super Rugby on, uh, they're actually going to get rid of, you know, there's going to be no community game, as Joe mentioned, potentially no Farrah Palmer Cup. The Blackfern Sevens teams, their program, what's happening to that? That concerns me greatly. I, I say all the time, they're New Zealand's flagship sporting team, and, and there's no talk of what, what's happening to them and whether they're going to continue on and how they're preparing for the Olympics. So, yeah, Super Rugby, it leaves me cold. We're following the money, right? Because the thing is, it's like it's all to do with the commercialisation. So the aspects of the sport that have been the most commercialised, which are the men's products, they're the ones that are coming back online first. And that's, I guess, speaking to the fact that this isn't sport as uh, maybe the values that we love about sport and the reasons that we get into it. This is sport, the commercial enterprise. And so this is why these have been the decisions that are being made because there are contracts. There are contracts that will be defaulted on. There will be costs that will be associated with those defaults. You know, there is no insurance cover for coronavirus. So we're going to have to see them making those choices. But I do think um, there are elements of that, which, you know, and I think it was Jenny Wiley who was saying the other day in relation to the netball, talking about the pay equity. And this is in terms of the systematic underfunding of women's sport and the fact that we, we do have the opportunity within the middle of um, crisis is always opportunity. And so it seems, I guess, a bit frustrating if we're rushing back out to get back on Sky Sport, which is, like you say, something that maybe less people are subscribed to, um, that we're all rushing back to normal when normal actually was broken anyway. It's funny, you know, rugby's supposedly the nation's game, the lifeblood of New Zealand and the bond that holds our communities together. However, you're going to put five super rugby teams who have no connection, really, outside of the the big main centres to any of the regions. I mean, you'd be better off having Tasman, for example, and you have t- teams and people and populaces that have a massive amount of pride in their province. You would have local businesses willing and wanting to get back up and running and support that local team and get some of their advertising out there. So there's a lot of flow-on effects happen if you have a provincial competition with All Blacks playing. All of a sudden, local businesses and local areas that have been struggling financially with different effects of the COVID-19 pandemic can start to feel some sort of at least morale boost due to having these games going on rather than five Super Rugby teams playing behind closed doors to provide a product for TV. It's soulless, like Hamish said. I I do wonder, though, well, actually, I have heard that perhaps some provinces might organise just some games between themselves, you know, like Manawatu plays Whanganui or something something like that. But, I mean, if, if um, you know, Farah Palmer Cup or Mitre 10 Cup uh, comes back, I mean, A, is the public going to be able to see that anyway? And B, is there money around for it to be televised? So it might get played, but no one's going to know about it. 
I think there's going to have to be some investment, right? Because we heard the notes from um, Katie Sadler, who was speaking on behalf of World Rugby, that there is very much the intention that, uh, from World Rugby's perspective at least, that the Women's World Cup will be taking place as scheduled next year. So there will be pressure that will be put on NZR from World Rugby to make sure that they can deliver on that product and that will continue to be the flagship that it's supposed to be and the thing that's supposed to move the game forward. So there will be a requirement from them and thankfully we actually probably for us as New Zealand-based players, this is actually a good news thing and that World Rugby has said, no, this is still happening because it's going to mean that NZR has to continue to prioritise the women's game because without uh, without the Fire Palmer Cup, we've got no um, lead and no warm-up for any type of um, players because we're not going to have any opportunity to be playing international. So it's going to have to be some uh, you know, round-robin stuff. We're going to have to have players playing before a World Cup because otherwise, how on earth are you going to make that into the tournament it should be? Hamish, uh, you have a connection with uh, young uh, rugby players. I think your son plays rugby. What's the talk, the feeling amongst um, youngsters, perhaps, about playing any sport this winter? Um, yeah, I'm coaching under 11 team this year, and we've been told that there won't be any footy. Um, there's potential later down the track if kids want to come along and flog themselves in fitness sessions, but they can't touch each other or the ball or any tackle bags or any of that kind of stuff. So um, I guess we're basically preparing to see if we can get a summer season of, of, of different codes up and running and, and, and planning for life without rugby. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. These are unique circumstances. I know in our personal case, my kid's pretty resilient. We just said, look, we can't play. He's going, oh, fair enough. And he understands why. And I assume that's widespread. But um, – when he heard that Super Rugby was starting, he was like, oh, wow, we're all playing. It's like, nah, mate, it's just the rock star guys. You guys don't get to play, unfortunately. You know what I mean? And he's sort of like, but why? And it's a hard one to explain to a kid, but that's where we're at. Alice, uh, every time we've had you on, you've always mentioned that you play rugby for the uh, you know, the enjoyment of playing rugby at the highest mm-hmm. level. But uh, your feelings about uh, is, is this an opportunity perhaps for women's sport to be readdressed? Well, it's the, it's the difference between a slow bleed and bleeding out, right? Like we we keep on talking about the fact that you know everyone's like, oh, sports now in trouble. Sport has been in trouble. Sport has been in trouble for a long time. The fact that we it's it comes back to the fundamental, which is we are happy to lose money in men's sport, but we're not happy to lose money in women's sport. When we lose it in men's, we call it investment. When we co- lose it in women's, we call it subsidies. So you know, it's it's there's a whole reframing of that argument that needs to happen. And I'm, I'm frustrated at being told that I'm only there, I'm only turning up, I'm only getting to play on the stadiums because men are letting me. Um, and that's been the message for a long time. And, and isn't it great that, isn't it so kind of my union and isn't it so kind of NZR to be allowing women to play um, and, and be profiling us when really we're doing exactly the same thing that the men have done, um, but we're just given the opportunity uh, and, and the support and the resource uh, to be delivering it. You know, I keep on, the, the funniest part of the Super Rugby before it got called off um, this year was when they would play the clips of, you know, Super Rugby 25. And they'd put up on screen some old try and they'd get Christian Cullen to talk about it. And I'll tell you what, it looked a heck of a lot messier than any of the tries I've seen scored in the Farah Palmer Cup last year. So the idea that women's sport is a lesser product is nonsense. Women's sport is an amateur sport at the moment. And if we were given the same opportunities, we would get the same polish that you're seeing in the men's game. So, yes, 
we need to address this. I think the last time I was on, I was talking about Title IX. We need to be, a, a, if there is any funding, if any funding is going to come from our Minister of Sport, if there is any funding that is going to be coming from central government, it needs to be tied to some equity rules for women so that we can actually have a consistency of program offered between men and women. It's not good enough anymore to say that men are the only thing that are worthwhile. I'm simply not having it. So I will absolutely be banging on like everyone else and joining um, very pleased to see Jenny raising this and, and talking about the ultimately which will be the hundreds of millions of dollars over the years now that have just not been given to the women's game because we've been just talking about how it wasn't worth the same but that's not true and now's the time to put the money where the mouth is I guess. Uh, look my experience of covering the ANZ Premiership was of players doing um, two-a-day training sessions plus gym and being paid $30,000 per annum for that and that's they were they were doing more training time, more contact time with coaches and teammates than your average super player, but earning a fraction. Um, the better silver ferns could earn sixty, the absolute rock stars could earn a hundred thousand. And we, I bang on about this guy, but but we've got guys like Bowden Barrett on a million dollars, hasn't laced a boot this year. And I, I, I don't think the ANZ Premiership players are any less professional or dedicated. In fact, I think in many ways they're more dedicated than than our male athletes, and that's my experience from covering you know sport over many years. Um, but they're paid a pittance and. Jenny's right, like until, well, let's go back. I'd hate to go back to regular time, but they were forecasting before COVID, so this a year ago, April 2019, a $30 million deficit for the next five years, obviously including this one. So their model was not working, and we got this sound the trumpets, rugby's back type um, feel at the moment. But the reality, as Alice mentioned, the game was struggling. And I, I, I don't see that what they're doing at the moment, they need more players, they need more engagement. But forever, all I see is white men making decisions for the benefit of more white men, not for women, not for Pacifica people. They need to engage more of New Zealand's population. Joe mentioned we're not the game for all New Zealand anymore, and that's partly why. There's a, there, there's a female element out there, whether they want their children to play or whether they want to play themselves, that's not being appealed to or catered to. We never promote Pacifica people, whether it be for captaincy or management um, jobs within rugby. It's always another white guy like Sam Kane or Ian Foster or any of these other people. And I just think that until they broaden their horizons, until they include more New Zealanders and bring more people along, they're going to get less and less engagement. And that's, that's my, my worry with this five-team super thing. It's, 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 it's involving less and less New Zealanders all the time. Hamish has hit the nail on the head there. Decisions being made by white men who are being paid a lot of money with not a lot of thought going into the actual empowerment of minorities playing the sport or the growth of the game really it is about protectionism of their own position and protecting the places of their mates and it doesn't seem and they you know they make the odd token gesture about another what the second woman we've had appointed to our board you know great fantastic dr farah palmer being the first but what what does that actually mean oh and bailey mackey from east coast has been appointed to the board this year great he's got maori heritage and has, has deep ties with nathi pro okay that's cool but i mean you you sort of think these these things just seem so token. The gestures seem so token. When real in reality, guys like Mark Robinson and Brent Imphy are going to force people to take redundancies. Half of their staff, it looks like. But where's the talk of them taking pay cuts right at the top? Where's the talk of leadership there? They don't show a lot of it. They don't show a lot of leadership when it comes to diversifying the board, diversifying New Zealand rugby. Sonny Bill Williams and many others made mention at the end of last year that they would really like to see a Pacifica or Maori person as a coach in the All Blacks management. They continue to not address those shortcomings there, continue to alienate themselves from 
players like them from the from communities Pacifica and Māori in particular, especially the players who are now feeling a little bit more educated, a little bit more confident to use their platform to to use their voice t- to address issues of inequality within the country. And I think you'll find that that disconnect just continues to grow. Sam Kane is captain. Ian Foster is coach. The board largely made up of white men who are a little bit out of touch with the realities that most of New Zealanders are facing right now. And I just think that that disconnect continues to grow. Less New Zealanders will care about rugby. And the myth that it's our national game and is the way that we identify ourselves will eventually be broken down. I was a bit pissed actually in the last couple of weeks, of course, when the whole bunch of white men pushed... Uh, Rainy Castle out of the um, rugby, <laughs> rugby Australia job, you know, which, <laughs> which is, which is yeah, really yeah. annoying. But um, Alice, I, I suppose you know that you know what about the Farah Palmer Cup this year? I mean, mm. you, you just wait, I suppose, for the rugby union to come out and say something, do you? I mean, to be honest with you, usually at this point in the year, we still don't have a draw anyway. So this isn't that different. <laughs> we, we don't generally know what, when the competition starts until late June until someone um, decides to publish something. I, I just wanted to pick up on that thread, though. Um, firstly, how nice it is to listen to you three white men talking about white men. That's really nice. I'm, I, I'm given heart by that. But also just the whole thing around recruitment, right, into the um, NZR. The problem as well is the fact that who we're generally bringing in there are former players who came up during a period of time. And now if you look at what period of time that was, that was a period of time that was very white rugby in New Zealand. And so it's very hard then for them to look around and find someone else um, to be brought in there. And so then they they also are bringing together a group of players that played at a time who then look around and they say, wasn't that the best time? Wasn't that the best part of New Zealand rugby? And you think, best for who? It's the whole uh, you know uh, Donald Trump slogan of making a America great again. It's the, uh, it's the idea that actually, you know what, it maybe wasn't that great for people at that time. And I think that that's probably the case when you think about historically, was it the best? Uh, have we always been the best for Pacifica players, for women players? Absolutely not. So I think there's actually just a real hard shake-up that needs to happen around recruitment process. Look at who you're putting on the board. The fact that they, when they were appointing the coach, they rolled back out a panel of um, dudes plus uh, Nolene from the, um, you know, from the netball to be picking that. And so it's it's hard to do with just basic recruitment 101 um, if you're wanting to bring in some diversity. But if we're talking about Farah Palmer Cup, because that was the question you asked me, yes, we're waiting. We're waiting and seeing. And the, the, the really tricky thing that a lot of us have been talking about is for us, we're going to be picked, obviously, normally our team gets picked off the back of our club season. Well, is there going to be a club season? Because if there isn't, how are they going to pick these um, teams? You know, that starts bringing up some interesting questions. Are they just going to pick, try and pick the same team we had last year, because that's then tough for players that were on the cusp. That's then tough for uh, you know any new talent that might have moved into an area. They're going to not get an opportunity to play this year. Um, so I guess maybe we'll have a series of trials. But again, I'm yet to hear anything from our um, coaching and management about what might be going on there. So it's all been very um, a bit of a vacuum, to be honest, in terms of communications that have been coming out. So we're waiting and we're seeing, um, but hopefully not for too long because we're going to have to start getting fit if things are going to start happening. Alice, just quickly, do you think there's any danger of Farah Palmer Cup being cut this year? I really don't think we do, it will, and purely that's just because of how strong Katie was at, uh, in her words from World Rugby last year. Uh, sorry, for, um, for, sorry, last week. Because she was so strong about the fact that the World Cup will be going ahead, it's going to be really difficult for New Zealand as the host 
to not have any women's rugby played this year. So they are going to have to have something on offer. I think we'll get an absolute joke of a thing. I think we'll probably get an even shorter season. Look, let's be honest. Most of the time we're lucky if we play six games. That's how long our season is. Six games. If you're good, you get to play eight because you've made finals. Um, So it might be an even further reduced version of that. I hope not. Goodness me, in my wildest dreams, we actually maybe look at extending it because club doesn't exist. But I, I do believe, and that's probably the relentless optimist in me and probably the reason why I'm still bloody playing after 20 years of nonsense, um, that says that, yes, I do think that rugby, women's rugby, the Farah Palmer Cup, will be played this year. And with those being the reasons, rather than the fact that New Zealand rugby has a moral <laughs> and ethical obligation to support the growth of the women's game in the country... Um, Mm. Do you feel undervalued at all, I guess, by New Zealand rugby in that sense? (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I I think I've said before, I love a game that I don't necessarily think loves me. And I mean, I think this is even just the fact... Um, boys, that, that I'm able to come on here with you every couple of weeks and speak pretty freely and there's no minder on me. Nobody uh, nobody from Wellington Rugby, I think, uh, listens to what I have to say on, on you know, a fairly public platform on a fairly regular basis. Um, so if they're not minding me, I don't think they necessarily know me, um, which, you know, there is power in that, mate. It means I can get away with all sorts. Hamish, just a, a last quick word. I, I suppose what we've gone through in the last uh, six weeks has put it all into perspective, really, when it comes to sport that, um, you know, I have found that uh, what's happening in news and other things over the last six weeks has perhaps uh, been, uh, you know, hugely more important and, and the whole sporting scene has sort of really dropped off and, um, you know, it, it just may take a while for it to come back. It has, but I, I was really optimistic for sport when the lockdown began because I thought it was going to force codes and organisations into a dramatic rethink about how they did things. You know, you can get trapped into stuff that doesn't work. Um, you don't know a way out. You don't know how to push the reset button. Well, it, it occurred. A, a global event occurred. It's a, one of, a once in a generation event occurred where you could say, hey, look, this wasn't working. Let's start again. Let's think of all sorts of crazy ideas and just throw them at the board and see what we can do. And they've done nothing. They've thought of nothing. They've just decided that piecemeal versions of what they already had, which wasn't working anyway, is the way, is the way forward. And that's just so dispiriting. I just thought this could be a real opportunity for change and to invigorate sport and to get people on board. As a community, we've been stuck in our homes and we're so desperate to be a part of something and to join something. And we've been left behind and left and excluded again by our major code rugby. And I just feel that's just so depressing. We could have really done something amazing here and we haven't done a thing at all. You have to look at the people that are trying to protect. Who who was the who were the people that were best served by, by the previous system? They were uh, affluent white men predominantly, and so of course they're going to be the ones that are going to be really keen to move back to business as usual because there was no issue with that. They want to hold on to that. That was all working for them, so they were keen about it. But I think the thing is, is that the the number of people, and particularly, you know, we always talk about rugby because that's that's me. Um, but the people that, and the number of people that are participating in rugby that aren't that anymore, they're getting bigger and bigger. And so at some point, the tipping point will happen, and we will realise our power, and we will have to start putting pressure on this in a very real way. And I think that we have the time, we have the time to do it. So now we just need to take the opportunity. Great stuff. Uh, Alice, I'll uh, put this out on social media so just all the various rugby unions uh, do get to hear this now. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you. Uh, that is extra time for this week. Uh, thanks to uh, Alice Soper, Hamish Bidwell, and, of course, uh, Joe Porter. You can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. 